We're discussing articles related to mental health with uh, Dr. Philip George today. He's a consultant, psychiatrist, and addiction medicine specialist from IMU. Good morning, doctor. Thank Good you so morning. much for joining us. I know you're not an early riser. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for bringing me up this early. <laughs> well, our first article has to do with digital technology and social media. So what it says is that the rates of teenage depression began to rise at around 2012 when adolescent use of social Social media became more common and this particularly happens only to girls right. and some evidence indicates that frequent users of social media have higher rates of depression and anxiety than do light users so doctor the question is does time spent using digital technology and social media have an adverse effect on mental health well adolescents and young adults tend to be the heaviest users of devices and social media and we have noticed a spike in depression adolescent depression run about the same time. Correct. And it seems to be more among girls, like you said, as mm-hmm. the study suggests, especially in the UK and the US. I mean, we cannot just blame social media because there are other changes occurring around about the same time as well. I mean, we have smaller family sizes, increased urbanization, better understanding and acceptance of mental health issues, and increased needs to succeed, and also perfectionism that's been, you know, become the ethos of a lot of young people now. And in vulnerable people, it seems to be even more significant. And so browsing through social media when you're stressed in your daily life or you've been through stuff in your childhood if your self-esteem is low and you know you start browsing through social media you can even feel more deprived and envious and that can actually lead to even more you know sort of self-loathing and negative thinking why girls well girls are you know usually engaged in social media more than boys but boys are more involved in gaming and that leads on to a whole different thing so among boys addiction becomes more common pornography internet addiction and gaming addiction these are the new you know sort of mental health issues among boys now as well but digital technology I mean obviously there are side effects there are some bad side effects but obviously yeah. there's some good to it as well oh right? yeah yeah can no. it be used to improve mental well-being it can actually I tell my patients to actually get onto websites that actually help them understand their condition better this next article is uh, a research from the University of Warwick and they have found that uh, depression, anxiety, impulsive behavior and also poor cognitive performance in children is actually affected by the amount of sleep they have. What is the recommended amount of sleep for children to help improve their mental health? Yep, well actually sleep is essential for both physical and mental health restoration. In fact, sleep helps with registering and imprinting for memory as well. So when children study, they need sleep to ensure that they remember what they study. Mm. And so sleep needs actually change from different ages, from infants to children to young adults like you guys to adults like me. Thanks, Doc. (laughs) And elderly, reducing as we progress through the years. So children 6 to 12 actually require 9 to 12 hours of sleep. 9? Wow. 9? Really? 12, yep. Oh, my daughter, who's 9 years old, is getting only the minimum. Which is 9 hours? She's getting about 9 hours. Yeah. So it's important to make sure that it doesn't go below that because you know it's becoming a real challenge now we have so much on a child's schedule you know he or she has tuition after school piano class martial arts homework and then there's the social media and the gadgets yeah 
you know, and I think it's important for us to actually make sure that they do have those required hours of sleep. Otherwise, they're just going to get into a lot of problems. But what's the worst case scenario? Say that the you know the kids have been sleep deprived for yep. many many years. What's the worst that could happen? Well, actually, this study that was published in Science Daily suggests that children with less than seven hours of sleep had more behavioral problems, about fifty percent more, and then cognitively they were poorer performers. So you know you have your child going to class and you know they're smart as the other kids, but because they don't have enough sleep, they're not actually performing as well as the other kids. Right, right. How about for us older adults? <laughs> <laughs> and we don't get enough sleep every day. I think we get about four yeah. to five hours. Is I'm that go, sufficient? I'm good with five, actually. Yeah. Is that too little? Well, actually, for adults, it's recommended six to nine hours. Really? Yeah. No wonder I'm going nuts. This next article is very interesting. It compared the Western diet, which is high fat, high sugar, to a Mediterranean diet, which is filled with fresh produce, whole grains, legumes, as well as healthful fats and fish, mm. and applauded the Mediterranean diet as the best diet for mental health. I guess the question is, how does an Asian diet fare against the Mediterranean diet or how does it fare against good mental health? Yeah, well, actually, diet and nutrition have a significant impact on our mental health. In fact, it surely influences our physical health and the Mediterranean diet has actually been linked to longevity. So if we look at the blue zones, you know, they have these blue zones around the world where yep. people actually average around, you know, lifespan goes on to octogenarians. They're 80 plus and they live longer than everyone else throughout the world, their diet seems to be a huge influence. You know, uh, the diets in Okinawa, the diets in Mediterranean, they're pretty much similar. And in fact, this study highlighted by the Medical News Today suggests that the Mediterranean diet can reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety. And the main ingredients, like you mentioned, is omega-3, vitamin D, folic acid. And all of this is mainly consisted in fruit and vegetable, whole grains, cereals, beans and pulses, nuts and seeds, olive oil. I think they eat a lot of oil. Yeah, oil. Yeah. And moderate dairy, less red meat, eggs four times a week. And so comparing with our Asian diet, which is largely carbs... You know, and we don't have that balance. And I think our vegetables and, you know, some, some of the other things like uh, nuts and types of oil, I think we lack in those things. Well, this next article is a local article from the Rakyat Post. And right. it says that in Malaysia, 30% of our 32 million population suffers from anxiety or depression. Mm. And since most cases go unreported due to stigma or other cases, you know, that's at least 96 million Malaysians mm, mm. suffering from a certain mental health disorders. Yeah. And there is a difficulty in assessing mental health treatment here in Malaysia because I was reading up about it. If you want to go to the public clinics mm. or a public sector hospital, yeah. you have to go to a clinic kesihatan first and then only the doctor will refer you to yeah. a psychologist or a psychiatrist in a public hospital. But if you go to the private sector, it's cost that mm. is uh, a problem. The question here is like, why Why is it so hard for people in Malaysia to get the help that they need? Well, Bill, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a challenge. 
And the National Health and Morbidity Survey in Malaysia is actually showing us that mental health issues are on the rise. In fact, in 2012, it was only about 10.7% of the adult population, but now it's about 30%. And so, yeah, but that rise does not commensurate with resources. Now, <clears throat> the reason why public hospitals require you to actually go to a clinic to get a referral letter is because some of these mental health problems can be managed by the doctors in the clinic kasiatan. Okay. <laughs> In training to be a doctor, like in my university, we have about eight weeks of psychiatry posting. So doctors to be actually go through training in psychiatry and hopefully they're able to actually manage and identify the, you know, the more common disorders, anxiety mm. and depression. So you don't necessarily have to go and see the specialist. And we're hoping we can actually train GPs to do this because we only have 400 plus psychiatrists for a population of 32 million. WHO recommends one psychiatrist per 10,000. We have one psychiatrist per 100,000. You know, it's like, when are we going to be able to come up to those resources that the population needs? If our, you know, number of people with mental health problems triples, but our psychiatrist just goes up by 10 every year. Yeah. We can't meet those needs. Thank you so much for that, uh, Dr. Philip George. Now, in this article, it was stated that people who have been left to live alone mm -hmm. may develop common mental disorders like depression, anxiety, and whatnot. Yeah. But well, the question here is, what about people who choose to live alone? Because we get a lot of that yeah. in this day and age, especially, you know, women and men who choose to live on their own. Will they also develop these common mental disorders? Well, I think the key word is left. You know, they were left to live alone. It wasn't a choice. Right. So, you know, when you make a choice, then it's very different. So this study actually looked at about more than 20,000 adults aged between 16 to 74. So it's very different from previous studies that only focused on elderly. And they assessed the feeling of loneliness. Now, loneliness and being alone are two different things. You can be alone and feel comfortable with yourself. Right. And that does not equate to loneliness. But if you are feeling loneliness, then it's a complete different thing. Yeah, so in the study, it was suggested that 84% of people... Who who live alone experience loneliness. That's where the conundrum comes. Yeah, that's a great area right there. Yeah, because, well, you chose to live alone, but you can experience loneliness. And this is, for a long time, been known to be a link to depression and anxiety. Right. And that's why, you know, there are ministers of loneliness and, you know, stuff like that in the UK. they actually focusing on people who are feeling this loneliness. Yeah, but the only thing is, it can also be a chicken and egg story. You know, people who do get depressed sometimes isolate themselves and then tend to be lonely. Right, yeah. I see. Yeah. So, yeah, so trying to decipher that, I think it's something that we may want to look at, you know, future studies. So it might not necessarily mean that even if you choose to live alone, yeah. you won't feel lonely. Yeah. When you feel lonely, then it might cycle into depression, depression and anxiety. And anxiety yeah. Yes.